What's up, Bow Rush listeners? I'm Travis Stowe, your host of the Bow Rush Podcast. You're listening to episode 23. So this week, we're stepping away with the bow manufacturers, if you've been listening to what we've done so far, and we're getting into something a little bit more specific about the bow, and it's not even the bow itself. It's the arrows. And we're talking with a guy, his name is Justin Mundane, and he gets into this really cool topic about how to build your own custom spinner an arrow spinner. And if you're someone like me, before, if I've ever wanted to know if my arrows were in tune, I always had to pack up my gear, drive 15, 20 minutes, or even up to an hour away to the nearest bow shop and let them test it out for me. What a waste of time. And what's great is that he kind of gives you an idea that it's really not that hard to build your own spinner and very cost effective. I believe under 20 bucks. I'll let him explain it, but it's a great episode. We get into other topics near the end. It's going to be fun. Let's get the show on the road. Hey, Justin, are you on the line? Yes, sir. Hey, man, I'm glad you're able to come on our show. It's, uh, it's nice meeting you. Nice meeting you, Travis. Good talking to you. So, Justin, how long have you been hunting, or when did you get started? Uh, I started when I was about 13. I didn't even have a bow. I used my uncle's bow. He let me use it. And I practiced all day Friday and until I couldn't even pull it back. And I went hunting Saturday morning, and I missed uh, a nice eight-point. First deer that walked under my stand, and I was shaking so bad that the arrow <laughs> fell out. And I had to get down in my stand, get it back up. And ever since then, I've, I've been hooked. And it's just over the years, I've figuring certain things out, how to tune my bow, and just things like that. And I just keep trying to improve and trying to learn. And thanks to people like you and the podcast that's out there, I'm discovering and learning new things. Honestly, thanks for that compliment. Yeah, the whole purpose of why we're putting these episodes together is to let that new archer learn something to be a better bow hunter, even a, a person that's been an avid hunter for years, a bow hunter for years. And what I mean by years, I've been bow hunting for seven years, and I still feel like I'm learning. And as you probably hear in these episodes, I don't always ask questions as someone that already know the answer, even though sometimes I might already know the answer. I go in it as if I am a new person. The reason why is because for that person that is new, they're getting that option or getting that chance to hear it with fresh eyes. And um, But getting back to the show... I came across something on Facebook, and there's this really good channel, and you posted an image, and it happened to be a custom-built arrow spinner, and it was surprising because I haven't seen something like this before. Thinking in the past, what did you do before you created the arrow spinner, and what did you do differently with this arrow spinner that might be different than what people find on the internet today? I used to just take my broad heads and them in my palm of my hand and just watch the arrow how it acts and everything but now nowadays with more and more bald heads it's shooting razor tips and stuff like that it's starting to cut my hands up so I'm like, man I'm, I'm gonna have to do something <laughs> <laughs> so that's when i got to researching what i did differently was uh i took a motor from an old cd player that i had and i had um, put it on there and i used a rubber band to go around my arrow from the shaft of the motor and a nine volt battery to power it. That way I wouldn't have to keep standing there spinning my motor and I could uh, use a tape measure at the end of my arrow to actually measure the wobble in my broadhead. Well, going into the, the understanding an arrow spinner, it's an inspector. And like, if you think about it, looking at everybody puts so much time and energy 
making sure their bow is tuned up, either paper tuning, chronographing, adjusting, sight pinning, everything to make sure before the hunting season's done, their bow is in perfect shape. But one of the things I know I've lacked in, and it's there's another element to bow hunting, and it's the arrow itself. And it's like, why is it so important to even do a check on the arrow? Well, um, to find your wobble your uh, in your arrow, because if your arrow's wobbling coming out, you can't really tell. You always have that one arrow that uh, flies off from your other groupings, okay. and it's probably from uh, wobbling your arrow. And see, when I check my arrows, I like to uh, bear shaft check them okay. to make sure that there's no wobble in the actual arrow itself. And then when I put my fletching on and my broadhead on, I check it again to make sure that there's no wobble on my broadhead. It could be, if there is, it could be from my inserts not square or something, but I go on from there. Now, how do, like what happens if you, you're you using uh, the inspector and you notice there is a wobble? How do you fix it? Like, what are some of the common issues that you might see and how, what are some of the ways to correct it? Well, when um, when using like a fixed blade broadhead, I found that most of the time when I have wobble with a fixed blade, it's that my broadhead's not aligned with my fletching of my arrow good. So I just, I use um, heated glue inserts. Okay. So I heat up my broadhead and I can uh, broadhead tune my arrows that way. But with the mechanical broadhead, I found that most of the time the sh- end shaft of my arrow isn't perfectly square, and they make a uh, squaring tool for that. Oh, okay. If you're looking at the image that I'm looking at, so for the listeners, you, obviously you know that you can't see what I'm looking at currently, but I have the images directly on the page. And if you want to look at it, just look at the show notes of this episode and you can see what I'm talking about. You have the CD case, the, the mount that you've put together with the uh, band. What other parts do you have on this? It looks like you have a, not a two by four, it was like a one by six and some bolts and some other things. Like what exactly did you buy? Where'd you get it? And how much did you think you spent overall time as well as cost? I've got probably, probably $6 in it. Wow. And, and, uh, time wise, probably about 45 minutes in it. I used the four bearings that I have on here are, um, skateboard bearings i ordered them offline off of ebay and i think it's like three dollars and 15 cents for 10 of them oh they're a uh, it's an eight millimeter by 22 millimeter bearing which is perfect and then i went to lowe's and got four corner brackets uh two inch by two inch corner brackets and they were two dollars I think it was two dollars for all four of those, and I think I had a dollar in the four five sixteenths bolts to hold the bearings on. Okay. And I just had a scrap piece of one by four laying at the house, so that's what I used. And I actually made my bearings sixteen inches apart because uh, my arrows are twenty eight inches full length so that leaves about four inches on each side hanging over now when you're coming up with the gauge of how because you know, certain arrows are thin and you have thicker shafts 
How does that affect with what you have? Because I know people can buy pre-built spinner, but with having yours built, is that giving you a little bit more flexibility to adjust it based on the air you're using? Well, um, yeah, if they have one, they, like if they buy one, it might have a little more adjustment because I've seen models out there with slide tops. Oh, okay. But what I but what I did uh, is my bearings are the space that I put in there is about a sixteenth of an inch in between the bearings, and it it'll accept any size diameter arrows. But as far as length, if I want to support it more towards the end. I, you can't really tell from the picture, but I have pre-drilled holes all the way out, and I can adjust on this piece of board from 16 inches all the way out to 20 inches. Oh, wow. And when you're looking at the image, I'm, I notice you got your, in the middle, is the parts that came from the CD player. What part did you need to keep? Because, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I've taken a part of the CD player, but I've never been able to put it back. So I don't know what's all in it that you particularly use to make this spinner work. Well, um, actually, if you have like an old um, Walkman CD player, okay. most of us have laying around. Yeah, there's when you take them apart, when you open one up, there's the black piece that the CD snaps down onto that actually spins the CD player. When you open it up, there'll be one motor that drives it, and there'll also be another motor in there that just spins it at the same speed, but it moves the laser eye back and forth across the CD player. So if you have, uh, you can actually build two arrow spinners out of one CD player. Oh, wow. And I mean, the, I guess the whole point is when you now have it with this arrow and you have the band, and you're, I guess you put the arrow through the band, um, and as it's spinning, that's allowing you to kind of step back and look at it in different angles instead of just being on top of it, which is what I've normally been seeing. So it kind of gives you a little bit more, a different perspective when viewing the the straightness. Is that correct? That's correct. And it also allows me to uh, be able, I got a uh, metal micro ruler, and it allows me to place it at the end of my broadhead and actually measure if there's any wobble. Because if you just stand back and look at an arrow, depending on like what your backstop is, it's hard to tell if there's any wobble in it. Huh. Well, I'm wondering, you know, of all the years that I've bow hunting, again, I feel I've fallen short, especially when it came to checking my arrows. And I've missed some good opportunities. And I even hit deer, and the pass-throughs weren't always the best. But I'm wondering if that could have also had some to play because I've te- seen in the time when I've done tests with, um, I'll be out in the field and I'm shooting my uh, fill point tips, just testing out and make everything's good. And then every once in a while, you know, things might not shoot exactly. And I usually put an X on the arrow just because like, okay, maybe it's not that great of an arrow because maybe it's not shooting correctly. But I've, that's as far as I've went. End up still, when I was younger, getting into this, I, I would still use that arrow and either I've missed completely or when I did hit, it just wasn't the most perfect shot. I wonder if that had something to play in because the arrow itself had an issue. Oh, definitely. It had a big play on it, especially when you get uh, with today's modern bows, when you're shooting farther and farther distances, uh, especially when you're like target shooting or 3D shooting, when you're shooting 60 plus yards, uh, slight variances in the arrow makes a big difference. Wow. This definitely looks like an interesting project, especially for someone that wants to do, you know, build things on a budget. Because six bucks, you said what you said about how much it cost you. Obviously, you had the the uh, CD player hanging around, but overall, under ten dollars, you got a uh, a pretty good arrow spinner. Oh, easy! And I would imagine even if you had to go out and buy the the board, the 
plumbers and all every screw easily under twenty dollars. I'm thinking about it because when you look at the things I found on the web, things you can purchase, they range between thirty, forty dollars or so. And it doesn't overall, that doesn't seem like a lot, but you're also looking at the quality. And what I do see from them is that it might be plastic or uh, some sort of polymer. That's regardless of how it's designed. When you look at something that you make, you know what it's done. You know how it's set up. And if it comes down to modifying it, you have this option because you're not confined to what was built. You've made it into your own little setup. And um, it just adds that extra element of knowing you're learning not only about the bow, learning how to make sure your arrows are done, and it's all on you. Uh, That has a little bit more, I think, uh, a feeling of gratification. Oh, definitely, definitely. And and the quality itself is way better than what you can buy at the store, I think, because they're just toning things out as fast as you as they can. And you you take the time, make sure everything's square, everything's plumb, and all the material used is metal, and the bearings are all one-piece metals, and definitely way better quality than you buy at the store unless you get up into the higher price ranges. You brought up a little subject at the beginning. You said something about you. Do you actually put your own fletching on the arrows? Yes, I fletch my own arrows too. Wow! I uh, use a uh, boning jig. Okay. I actually have a boning and a Blitzenberg jig. And that's allowed. Uh, they have their own different uh, purposes. Uh, I haven't yeah. done it yet, so that, that's one of the things that I'm wanting to learn uh, over this next year is about you know taking more control of the arrows you're picking. And I have to say, like when I first got into it, when I walked out with my first bow, I just used whatever arrows the uh, the shop gave me. Uh, they gave me a deal, so they gave me a set of arrows to walk out with. And for a while, I was just using those arrows, not knowing the purpose, you know, the pros and cons towards it. And then as each year came along and I was at a pro shop getting my bow adjusted, I would buy another set of arrows. And it was, I was actually pricing it based or picking them based on price, not really based on quality. Uh, I was trying to get the, you know, more for the dollar. And then after a while, I started realizing cheaper arrows, though, might be perfect for getting started. When it gets down to it, you really do need a quality arrow. Um, but then there's some that already pre-come with the, the fletching. And then whenever I have a fletch pop off, I was tossing the arrows, thinking, well, that's done, it's ruined, never thinking that I could actually put a new fletching on. And um, that's as another element of things I'm trying to learn. Oh, it, it's definitely something you need to learn. I mean, all the arrows, I, I got the, into it for the same reason out here shooting, shooting the fletching off one arrow, or like you said, one getting damaged. And I was throwing them away, but then I got to researching online and seeing it. And now that I've I've been fletching my own arrows for about three years now, and it's saved me a ton of money. Do you ever actually uh, test it? Like, because I know there's there's people that go a little crazy. They might twist them in a different angle. They might have them uh, where they're just not perfectly uh, straight between the broadhead shifts and everything, but they might have just a slight angle, maybe it will, so it's almost rotation. Have you ever tried any yeah. of that? That's uh, that's what I was just fixing to talk to you about. I, oh. my, I got the uh, Blitzenberg Dilematic okay. uh, Arrow Fletcher, and I, it comes with, well, the one I got, I bought the three different jaws for it, a right helical, a left helical, and a straight helical. And uh, when you're talking about the spiral, that is the uh, right helical. 
and that's what I mainly use for my hunting setups. Okay. Because it spins the arrow faster, and I, it stabilizes it better. But the disadvantage to the right helicoid is, and the left helical is, that when you shoot harder than like 60, 70 yards when you're getting out there on target shooting, it almost has like a parachute effect oh. where it slows your it slows your arrows down and you have a dramatic drop. And uh, so when I'm doing target shooting at longer distances, I usually use a two to three degree offset straight vein versus the helical. That is very interesting. I, I didn't know there was that technical. Uh, so basically from a further distance... Having it at a slight angle could be a hindering on the, the trajectory, but when it's, I guess, under 40 yards and you're just doing it for hunting, it's pretty efficient. It keeps your arrow straight, but when you're going for target practicing or you're on a 3D shoot, something past 30, 40, 50 yards, you want to make sure it's clear and straight? Well, uh, like I said, um, when I started noticing the effects, it was 60 yards beyond. When I noticed uh, with my setups that I had dramatic uh, drops in my arrow and drops, you know, relate to a decrease in speed. So that's something I would not want to hunt with because when you decrease your speed, your kinetic energy is going down and your chances of a pass-through are less. Yeah. And I found that using a um, two-degree or three-degree offset straight that I have um, more speed and less arrow drop down range at 60 plus yards. See, right there. I think that completely can be a full episode just discussing that in itself. But um, but kind of getting back to the original topic being about the bow spinner. I mean, is this the only thing that you've made? I mean, have you ever made anything else? Uh, this is really the only tool that I've made. But like uh, I've made several deer mounts and stuff like that just because I don't want to go out and buy one. I like to have things that's unique to me. Makes sense. Have you ever heard of Trophy Ridge Outdoors? Their their mounts, it's a it's a totally different type of mount. I mean, it's not the standard what most people use. It's it puts a mount in the back end of the trophy, but then it also has a section you put and uh, screw into the wall. So when you connect it onto it, it allows you to almost not necessarily swivel, but it will let you all like change the um, rotation of the animal so it can be properly set and you can easily take it on and off without having to worry about uh, nails or something in the wall itself. Oh, that's cool. Uh, no, I haven't heard of them, it's but a, it sounds uh, very interesting. It's a unique product. I uh, met the guy, his name is Travis as well, but it's that cool and fairly cheap, but it's just totally different than having what most people go when they take it to a taxidermy and they come back with a mount that pretty much you hang on a hook on a wall with a nail this is uh, not that at all it's very secure strong and uh it's neat oh that's awesome yeah i, I had to look into that I want, i'm hoping to get me one mounted one year uh mostly it's pretty expensive and i ain't got a whole lot of money but i mostly been doing uh european mounts and things like that yeah, I did mine. Uh, my first eight point was uh, two years ago, and I did my first mount. And uh, it it's, I was surprised how much cost effective it is doing a European mount versus trying to get it full uh, with the skin and everything. A hide that's still attached, but uh, 
of all the years I've gone hunting, I've never really had a worthy enough buck to do really a mount last. Uh, when I finally did, I did the European mount, and uh, I, I'm liking it. It's pretty nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, what did you, did you uh, do it yourself? No, there was a guy that's local. Uh, these are things I just never had the opportunity to learn. I know that there's techniques. You can boil it, but I, just, I didn't want to screw it up since that was my first one that I felt was worthy of it. And it uh-huh. um, all the surprisingly enough, though, he did an incredible job because he didn't buy a um, a plaque to mount the um, the skull on it. He got a piece of wood. I think it was maple, I think, and he carved a very unique shape. And then he stained it. He did everything himself, and so it just add that extra touch to the uniqueness to it instead of something I could purchase off the web or go into the store and buy. And I'm glad I did. I mean, he did a great job. He it, It's done, I think, really well. And uh, I was happy with it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's what I like doing, mine. But uh, if you ever if you ever want to try doing one yourself, you get another one. It, it's very simple. Yeah, I promise you, you won't mess it up. Now, don't you have but, to do it outside, though? I mean, it's pretty. it, doesn't, it stinks pretty bad, right? When you try to do it inside, as you pretty much say, if you're going to boil it, you got to do it out because of the smell. Yeah, you want to do it outside. I mean, it, it's really not as bad smelling as you think, but the, I think that most of the smell comes from, the, from like, the rain and stuff where you can't get to because you sort of got to boil all of that out of there. How do you know if you get it all out? Yeah, you just... Just keep boiling it, and then you'll be able to like look up in there. And what I did, I took a uh, coat hanger, yeah, and just you can just pull it out. Oh, and it's it's basically just cooked, really, really overcooked meat that just falls apart, and you just easily easily scrape it off and everything. And you take a pressure washer, and you can wash ninety percent of it off and out. And I use uh, you don't want to use bleach to. Uh, bleach it because that'll actually deteriorate the bone what you'll do you go to like sally's and they make uh bleaching it's like a bleaching peroxide and a paste for your hair yeah and that is that's what i use to whiten them that way it don't damage any of the uh bones huh well kind of going into i just want to tell you a really cool story that uh, the buck i got surprisingly enough the arrow, uh, this is kind of the, the topic of why you know, the arrows are kind of becoming more important to me. He was probably 35, 40 yards away, and his head was down, and this, everything seemed to be perfect. I did a little bleak, I did a uh, snort wheeze, and his nose went straight down and kind of started coming towards, uh, not directly at me, but in front of me uh, from my left to right. And I had a great shot right towards the back of the shoulder blade where his arm just moved out and ended up being around 22 yards. Well, when I shot the arrow, I felt it was a perfect penetration. Arrow went through. And when I found the arrow, it did go through, but the, the bride head was missing. And the, the, the arrow passed all the way through it. Well, come to find out, the buck, he ran around the property and end up going about almost two miles. He jumped the fence, and he went about two miles up on the edge of the property, or the uh, the road and the side, like the highway, um, and he finally just kicked over. It took a while to find him. I just kept looking, 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 and but sure enough, when I went to field dress, I found the broadhead, and clean, perfect shot right where I wanted it, but when I opened them up, there was just wounds everywhere and gut pile just busted open because when it hit, 
the arrow snapped. The broadhead got pushed into the gut, and the uh, the arrow passed through perfectly. So I had a clean shot. But the uh, when I was talking to the um, the pro at the shop, he says because my arrow is bending in the time of penetration, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Either the arrow wasn't in perfect shape, or when I released, I had a kink and pushed it out a little bit. I mean, it could have been my release itself. It could have been how I held my bow. It could have been the arrow itself it when it penetrated. A whole lot of factors. The fletching could have been messed up, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's so many things that could have caused this. A great clean shot, what I thought have been, snapped the arrow and you know basically allowed this deer to run further than it really needed to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could have been anything. You could have been shooting the wrong spine of arrow for your bow. You could have had at your anchor point. You could have had too much string contact on your face. And that would have actually pushed the string slightly. With, I don't know if you're left or right-handed, but it would have pushed it one way and putting a little extra torque on there. And it's a lot. I mean, it's it's crazy when I started researching into it how one little micro, you got to like examine your micro flaws to shoot consistent, consistently and have everything perfect. Well, I know that like even this year, uh, I've been testing my bow and getting it down the side. I first time ever Robin Hooded my arrow, and uh, I feel confident at least 20, 30, 40 yards. This year, my windage is great. My latitude and longitude, everything is pretty much dead on the money. The only thing I know that I'm still needing to work on is my arrows. Uh, I only have one arrow left now, and I'm looking at using new broadheads. So, <laughs> so many new pretty things. Crazy. Yep. And now, uh, when you're tuning your bow, exactly what process do you go through? Do well, you just paper tune and get out and uh, group test it, or do you broadhead tune, modified French tune, or anything like that? I've been doing just groupings, you know, from distances and different angles, and as long as that my groupings are fairly close at like 20 30 40 yards if i'm still within a silver dollar or smaller i feel pretty confident that it's a decent shot and i'll oh, do multiple sets okay cool yeah so have you ever um have you ever looked into uh walk back tuning no what is that but walk back tuning or uh i think they also call it like french tuning or modified french tuning i've heard french it's- tuning but i'm not really sure the the tactic on it well, what it, what it, it just lines your uh, sight and your rest up and your string perfectly. Um, what you do is you'll take and hang a string from your target, and you'll shoot at whatever you co- what distance you're comfortable at, say like um, 10 or 20 yards, and you just shoot and you adjust your sight until you're hitting hitting the string as perfect as you can. Uh, you, uh, you're trying to cut it in half, but if you're just touching the left or right side of it, that's perfect. And then you step back to, if you're shooting at 10 yards, you'll step back to 20 and you'll shoot the same yardage pin and everything at the exact same spot. And what you try and do is hit the, on the same line of the string. If you're to the left, farther to the left or farther to the right, you'll want to move your arrow rest that time, and then you go back to the 10 yards and you start all over again. You adjust your side in until you're hitting the center of the string, and you'll go back to the 20, 30 yards, 
And if you're hitting straight in line with your last shot, everything's lined up perfect. So it's a, like another form of chasing the arrow to make sure your uh, windage is set correctly. Yes, sir. Huh. I didn't know that. So it's just getting a string. How do you do? You tape it down? Do you have to weight it or something? Uh, just uh, hang like a weight on the bottom of it. I tie, okay. What I did is uh, I tied a shoestring around an arrow, and I just hung a little. I tied a rock to the other end just so it hangs straight down. Okay. And that way, if I actually shot the string, it wouldn't cut it in half. It just sort of stick through it, and then on my next shot, I would see where I was at. You can actually shoot. Um, you actually don't even have to have a string. You can take like three or four arrows that you've um, good, straight, quality arrows, and you can shoot your first one and then just step back five, ten yards and use the exact same pin, same yardage pin and everything, and shoot at the exact same spot and just keep stepping back, and you'll actually be able to see a line in your arrows of if they go straight down, all of your arrows make a straight down line, you're perfect. But if they start going off to the left or off to the right, you know, you need to adjust. So you're talking about not you're not adjusting the pin or using a different pin. So if let's say you're twenty yards out and or even ten yards out and you're shooting and you go to twenty yards, you're using the exact same pin you're using at the ten yards, the twenty and the thirty, still the same uh first pin, so to speak. And so the idea yep. is that your arrow is gonna be slightly lower, but you still want it to be uh in the windage element is center. That's right. That's all you're all you're messing with right there is your windage, your left and your right, and uh, it's just sort of uh, micro tuning it from your paper tuning. That is a I've not done that yet. That's a great idea. If anything, that'd be just fun. Add a little bit of challenge to it instead of just trying oh, to yeah. shoot at a you know, a square spot and and get your groupings. Oh yeah, um, like I said, just uh, research it on YouTube. That way. It, you'll get more of a visual of what I'm talking about yeah. than just me trying to explain it over the phone. But uh, I've actually noticed I've done it last year, and I've noticed a big difference in my shooting. Man, just I really do appreciate you taking the time. Um, that was pretty important. I never even thought about the French tuning. What's the other term? Um, Walk-back tuning. Walk-back tuning. I think, the, I think another term I've heard for it is like the modified French tune. It's all, all three of those are the basic, same basic concept. Okay. Well, great, man. This was really informative. I, I think it'd be a great podcast. I appreciate you coming on and sharing. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Well, take care. Yes, sir. You have a good night, Travis. You too. This is a great episode. What I love about what we're doing is that, yes, we are finding people that are experts in the industry, that might be celebrities, that might be someone in the know that you've maybe read about or listened to before, or even seen on TV. But what I also like is that we find people that are just the everyday bow hunter, that have the heart and dedication to be a great bow hunter and love to share what they know. And what I liked about it is we brought on Justin. He has this great concept that he found on the web, already built by someone else, but he applied something else to it, which was a motorized function that lets you build a step away from the spinner and view it at a different perspective. I love it. This is something I'm actually going to try to build it myself. But I mean, if you enjoyed this episode 
and you've liked our other episodes, I'd ask if you could go to our iTunes account and leave us a five-star review. The way you get to it is go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the page. I'd appreciate if you can leave a five-star review. Maybe let us know what you like about the show. We're trying to make this as really good as possible for anyone that's listening and learn something new. On top of that, we do have some social sites from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the norms. Um, you can reach them all by going to mybowrush.com. Click on the link that says follow us links. Um, it will give you all the details of how to reach us in different uh, social accounts. We are asking the people that are listening to our show to follow us on those social sites as well. And if you feel like you could share to your friends and family members who we are, let them like and follow us. That'd be great too. But we want them to like it because they like our content. But we are growing daily and we are excited about that. And so the interactions are getting better. We're getting people giving us more information. They're emailing us. They're asking for requests. And we're excited about that. We really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. Hopefully you're learning something new. I feel like I'm learning something new. And so if this is something great, share it. And with that being said, and I'm going to end it with this simple statement. I'm Travis Stowe, your host of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm out. Bow Rush.